Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Three, two, one. This is Field Day with Katie Black. What up, everybody? Welcome to Field Day with Katie Black. I'm excited today. I have with me. Ryan Robinson, former Carolina Panther and Miami University alum. What up, Ryan? <laughs> How you guys doing? Was curious, um, just because I'm you'll you'll find out I'm just kind of weird and interesting. What's the is there a story behind how you spell Ryan? Uh the simple story is my parents fell in love with the spelling. I'm named for Ryan Sandberg, the baseball player for the Chicago Cubs back in the eighties. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Also, so I obviously do some research before I sit down with athletes, but I also don't want to go too hardcore. So I want it to be organic, but I'm all about birthdays. So I understand you're a Scorpio. Is that correct? That is correct. It's tatted on my arm. Oh, cool. <laughs> Cause I always ask people like, is that something you play into? Do you think it's, you know, some people think it's, you know, just garbage. What do you, what's your, what's your vibes on the sign and astrology? My, my, take, my take on astrology. I don't, I don't let it dictate my behavior or use it as an excuse to behave a certain way. Um, but I do think we have certain characteristics that line up with uh, the times of the year and how our mood shape out. Totally. Totally. Is there, is it true that like you have, or again, again, I study weird stuff. Is it true that Scorpios have like a very like sensitive stomach? No, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that's true. (laughs) No, I I think like it just depends on who you are and, and, a lot of it is science and what your mom ate prior to and and that thing. So um, I don't think it's true of sensitive stomach for, for me, at least I can't speak to everyone else. Okay. Well, first off, before we get into like your career, I always ask people, where were you born slash where did you grow up? Um, From Toledo, Ohio. Originally I was a uh, three sport athlete, went to central Catholic in Toledo, Ohio. We just won our uh, fourth state title in the last 20 years or so. So shout out to the Central Catholic Fighting Irish. Um, I went to Miami University in Ohio, which is about three hours from Toledo. And then um, I've been in Carolina for the last 16 years. Wow. Wow. Do you do you miss home or you love it here? I'm, I say here because P.S. I'm in Charlotte. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. No, I, I miss... Uh, I miss my parents and I miss my family. I do not miss Ohio. Uh, being being there when it's gray eight mm. months out of the year and then it's scorching hot like Carolina during the three or four months that it is nice. I don't miss that part at all. I like being two and a half hours away from the beach. I like being two and a half hours away from the mountains. You can go and get any climate. I can get snow. I can get the warm, sunny stuff uh, just without having to be in well, let's call it what it is. The armpit of America, you know, it's not it's not great economically anymore. Um, all the car and plants and the, you know, upward mobility, so to speak, is gone from that portion of the world. So I do have very successful friends and family that are there. Um, they'd had to they had to think outside of the box and really, really plan for their their success. But I love it where I'm at. Very cool. And you know, okay, so I'm assuming do you consider, and this might be like, are you serious, but like, do you consider Ohio in the Midwest? 
Like, what I do you consider that? Only, only because I'm told that, um, yeah. knowing where it's at on the map, it's kind of in the middle of nothing. So you have Indiana is Midwest, Illinois, Midwest. You go um, Pennsylvania is east of that. So then we're talking about East Coast. We're we're kind of we're yeah. It can be considered Midwest. It can be you know North Northeast, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. Just your point of view on it at this point. True. Do you do you appreciate like the Southern hospitality or any thoughts on that? I think uh, I bought into it when I first got here. The people down here are super nice. Uh, definitely slower than what I was used to. Not slow as in you know like from a learning perspective or from a no, um, I get it, no yeah it, it's not not from a you know not from a uh mentality you know, speed, yeah speed mentality but from like a speed of living like people down here know how to slow things down and really take in you know the outdoors or um you know spending time with family and whatnot as as ohio's a good mix of that but it also has got like vibes of new york if you get in in certain spots like it's going to speed up cincinnati's like that um cleveland toledo are like that being that we're only 45 minutes from detroit you can obviously go across um the michigan border and get that too yeah but you know i have real quick since you obviously are here and have been here i have observed that i feel like in the last year the drivers here are like crazy well, you know what it is? It's because we have a lot of transplants here. Me being one of them, but we got a lot of Florida. You got a lot of New York. You got some Georgia. You got some Virginia. It just depends on you know where you are in the city and where these where these specific pockets of people move to. Um, that determines your driving climate, so to speak. From here to my son's school, it's a nightmare some days because you know people are speeding through school zones or that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying know? that's what I'm saying yeah. or like yeah. I'm yes like there there's the caution light it's afternoon school time or morning school time or I've noticed I'm in a 45 mile zone I'm going 60 why am I going too slow for you exactly why are you riding my bumper why are you swerving around me, not using your signal or slowing down right at the turn without using the signal and then yanking a hard right? LOL. But yeah. you get what I'm saying. But Oh, 100%. Okay. So I asked this. At what point in your youth do you, A, get into sports and then B, kind of have this like light bulb moment of like, I'm really good at this? Honest answer is... By the time I was in the fifth or sixth grade, I knew it was for me. I played, I think I said this already, but I played football, basketball, baseball growing up. Which is just like any, like an emoji, just like what? The, it became an exercise in time management and my parents' willingness to drive me all over the place. Um, my sister was a three-sport athlete. She was um, basketball, softball, volleyball. So. By the time we were in high school, we had to kind of divide and conquer. One parent would go one way, the other parent would go the other way. Or um, if it was a weekend where we'd all start together at one thing and I would end up driving her, dropping her off, my mom would have to circle back and get her or dad or whoever was was on duty for the day to go get her. But at a very young age, and I, I told this story to 
you know, I kind of mentor kids and, you know, their parents ask me to talk to them quite often to ask me, what does it take? And quite honestly, it takes the mentality that you have to have a plan. And um, I live by these words, have a plan, work the plan, plan for the unexpected. By the time I was fifth, sixth grade, I was already telling my classmates, hey, look out for me in the newspaper because this is this is what I want. This is what I'm going to go get. Uh, it also meant that by the time I made it to high school, I wasn't doing what all the other high school kids were doing. I wasn't out partying. I wasn't, you know, getting into stuff that I wasn't supposed to be getting into. And I think you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even have my first drink until I got to college. So it was more so just having a focused path of what I really wanted to do in life. And that meant a lot of sacrifice early. Wow. Do you have a favorite sport that you played? Like baseball. if you had to pick baseball all the way? Baseball. Hand, hands down baseball. Um, I actually just semi-retired from Woodbat League Baseball here in Charlotte. Um, they have a men's league. And after a short stint of playing softball and realizing I like softball, I don't love it because the competition wasn't there. You go from playing high-level collegiate baseball to no baseball, took up golf and other things to try to supplement that competition. And don't get me wrong, I will go play golf every day of the week if you let me, but the competition that comes with baseball, that one-on-one, but also the team feel of the whole thing, I fell in love with it at, at a very early age. It was actually my first sport. So when I found out I wasn't going to be able to play, well, I thought, as I say found out, I thought I wasn't going to be able to play in college. And um, I ended up walking on after clearing it with the football staff. Walked on, ended up starting as a true freshman at Miami. And from there, had a very successful baseball career in college. If I could do it all over again, maybe I wouldn't be a football player. Maybe I would be Ryan Robinson, the baseball player. Um, by the time I retired from football, it was already too late, too many injuries, didn't hit a ball for long enough. But I grew up loving that sport. My dad got me into it early on. And a lot of the guys that I played with growing up ended up as NFL football players. So it's kind of a hotbed for for talent in Toledo, Ohio. Very interesting. I just find all of that just so fascinating, I guess, just because so my background study is of media and pop culture. And obviously sports is a huge sector of that. But just the last like nine months of me doing this show, I have kind of opened up my brain that like, no, not all athletes are just one lane the whole time. You know, no, it's it's hardly ever that. And if I could give any piece of advice to parents that may be listening to this, don't specialize your kid too early. Don't specialize them too early. I find that these these people are putting their kids in baseball for nine out of the 12 months of the year and wondering why little Johnny has Tommy John surgery when he's 11 or 12. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, mm. My well-rounded you know, sport career of football, basketball, baseball, each movement, and this is in my professional opinion after being a personal trainer for X amount of years and you know being a professional athlete for X amount of years – each movement benefits the next. So your lateral movement, side to side movement, where you're playing defense and basketball is going to help if you're a defensive player on football for linebackers, safeties, and corners. Your front to back movement or lateral movement in baseball also helps your movement in basketball. Um, It also helps your depth perception when you're shooting a three-pointer versus catching a fly ball in the outfield 
or um, for me, fielding punts, also just like catching an out, uh, outfield fly ball. So these these movements all work together. And any anytime you can develop those movement patterns, go ahead and allow your kid to do that. They won't have any. They won't have as many overuse injuries if they're doing things the proper way and you're allowing the proper amount of rest. No, yeah, that's great advice. And I guess in in all aspects, do you feel like now in today's time range, do you feel like you observe more parents trying to live vicariously through the kid than the kid? I do. And I, I, I really, it's hard for me simply because I always told myself that as a parent, I wouldn't do that to my kids. I don't, my, my son, my, my 13 year old just turned 13 plays football. It's only his second year of football. I started when I was six or seven, right? So I was already double the amount of time in the sport by the time I was his age. And I always tell him, Hey, I don't care what you're good at. I'm going to be there to support you. I don't care if you're a professional football player, professional baseball player, professional basketball player. What I care about is that you care about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So anything I can do to help facilitate um, his love of whatever it is, whether it's music or sport or art or whatever he's into, uh, I'm going to be there to facilitate that. So I do find that parents are living vicariously through their kids. And as a result, they're pushing their kids into sports that they love. And then it causes some burnout on the back end. Mm-hmm. Well, I always say thank you for sharing, you know, your experiences and and what you've seen and observed and been through. So going back to high school, I'm all about, not that I take it, but again, I'm obsessed with my weight and what I eat. So I always wonder as far as being an athlete, did anyone at any time like sit down with like teammates and yourself of like, these are the things that you should eat? These are the things that you should stay away of? Or was that just not a conversation? At that point? Uh, no, it wasn't a conversation. I was a trash panda at that point. I was eating whatever I can get my hands on. Um, there were times where my parents were like, oh, you should stop eating so much candy. Okay, cool. Whatever. Piling down candy, uh, pasta, whatever, whatever I can get my hands on. That was like my jams. Uh, but the nutrition aspect of it really didn't come into play until I got to college, mostly because even though I was eating whatever, I was playing three sports during the summertime. I would wake up, go to football, um, workouts in the morning. Uh, in the middle of the day, I would play baseball for two games. And then at night, I'd play two or three basketball games. So you're burning a lot. I was burning a ton of calories. I was essentially burning what swimmers burn when they when mm-hmm. they swim at meets. So when it boiled down, I was only 150 pounds going into college, 155 pounds going into college. So I wasn't a big kid. By the time I made it to my freshman year, my first game, I think I was like 162 pounds. And that was work, like really, really working at trying to gain weight. Mm. At a certain point, my coaches were like, oh, you got to gain some more weight. We want you to be at 170, 175 by this time. Did I get there? Yes, I did. Eventually, by my sophomore season of college, I think I was 178 pounds. And then I lost it during the season. Couldn't keep it on. And uh, when it came down for the combine, they were like, oh, you got to gain 11 more pounds for us to consider taking you in the NFL draft. So my problem was always gaining weight, at least until I turned like 26 or 27. And then it became a fight the opposite way. Well, as far as like 
you know, the, which I haven't talked about this yet, as far as like wanting the athlete to gain weight again, is that something that they're like, Hey, eat this, eat this. Or they're just like, eat whatever you want or. Yeah, there was no, there was no real. So we didn't have nutrition coaches in high school. So there was like, Oh, try a peanut butter sandwich. These people, a lot of them didn't know what they were talking about. Like yeah. your best bet was to get with the wrestling coach or some of the football coaches maybe, but nobody other than the weight training coaches, which were also football coaches, um, none of them really had certifications or the ability to coach anyone nutritionally. So I kind of pride myself on that now because I do train clients and my clients also get the nutritional aspect of it through me. I feel like that's an important component of living a healthy, moderated lifestyle. Very interesting. Going in, you know, towards the end of your college life, are you like, hey, I'm going to the NFL? Like, was that like, hey, this is happening? Or what was that? So there was a lot that played into that portion of my life. And it's always a coin flip. Mm-hmm. When guys come out of college, you think you're going to get drafted. You Something happens. I've, I had a couple injuries, nothing that really caused me to miss time. Um, I was fairly sure after I left school, because what happened was I left 15 credit hours short. So my idea was I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going to warm weather train with the best trainers. My agent's going to do this and he's going to put me in a position. And I had to trust that process that I was going to be taken care of. But all in that same stroke, I didn't know for sure. There was no hundred percent. There was, you know, at the combine, you work out, you do all this stuff. And they're like, you can go between the second and the seventh round. Okay, great. That doesn't narrow it down. And it doesn't make me feel any more comfortable because if you ever watched the NFL draft, people get traded for and teams bump up to the next position or the ability for one team to draft X amount of players is all held up in the trades they made from years before. So those are some of the most nervous and nerve wracking days of my life for me to have to take a chance like that to go train and essentially go into debt just for the sake of me being able to get drafted. I had to have faith in my abilities and, you know, being the type of person and player that I was, I was fairly confident. I was higher up on some people's draft board, but again, there's no way to tell. So, you know, I was confident in it. I just, it was me sitting on the couch with my knees shaking, worried about whether I was going to get what, you know, what I worked so hard for. If, you know, my research serves me in 07, you get drafted by the Panthers, right? Correct. Correct. And like in a nutshell, what is that? What is that like mentally? Like, it's obviously exciting. Do you like, do you like mentally black out? Like what happened? It was, it was exhilarating. So the story of the two days that were surrounding the draft, I, uh, my parents threw me a draft party as most, most people, most people's do when they have someone near and dear to them that may get drafted mm-hmm. Throw a draft party. Um, if you're one of the guys that are getting drafted first or second, you're either at the, the ceremony to get drafted or you're somewhere close by with the camera crew because they know the inside scoop. This guy might get taken 12th overall or 13th or 14th. They keep a camera close so they can film your reaction to what's happening. Well, I purposely knew I most likely wasn't getting taken on the first day. So the party happened on day one of the draft. So I got around all my family, my friends, everybody hugs. Congratulations. Thank you for showing up. Day two, when I was fairly sure something was going to happen, I hadn't heard anything from anyone except for my agent. We'd been caught, like 
talking about it. Hey, I talked to this team. They're talking about this and that. Still don't know anything's for sure. Well, day two, I don't know if you remember the um, the flip phone, the Verizon oh uh, Motorola Razor, right? <laughs> yeah. I had the Motorola Razor and the back of my phone was about ready to fall off. So oh, it, was, no. it was electrical taped around the battery up to where the numbers were so I could hold it like Will Ferrell had that teeny tiny phone. So I'm... um. I get a phone call on the second day. They are, I believe, 18 picks in, something like that. 16, 18 picks in. And I hear the person on the phone say, hey, such and such. This is, this is Ryan Robinson with, or the hi, Ryan. This is such and such with the Carolina Panthers. I'm going to pass you over to Marty Herney. Marty gets on the phone. Marty goes, hey, Ryan, good to talk to you. Um, we just want to let you know before it goes across the screen, we're going to trade with the Jets. We're going to trade up X amount of positions to pick you up. And then at that point, I was like, oh, it's so great. Thank you. I appreciate the call. So nice being on. He stops me in my tracks and goes, hey, I'm going to pass you to John Fox. And uh, you talk to coach for a minute and then we'll pass you to the media department. So the phone's basically getting passed down the line to the people who are involved in the whole operation. So they keep transferring me around. I talk to coach Fox for maybe five, 10 minutes. And right when I get ready to get off the phone with him, the battery falls off the back. Oh of my no! So I'm freaking oh, out. Oh no! <laughs> I'm freaking out. And my my dad's on the couch, sitting next to me. He's got his arms around me because at that point he had seen my name go across the screen. And in my mind, when the phone hung up, I go, "Does that mean I'm not drafted anymore?" Like I was like literally freaking out, spaced out. Lucky for me. My agent took precautions when he saw my phone to get me a second phone, which was, um, what is it? The BlackBerry, T-Mobile BlackBerry. Oh my gosh, yes. So that was that served as my business line. And on every single application, every single piece of paperwork, we had two phone numbers listed. So when they called my phone and it didn't pick up because it was rebooting, they called my second phone. So I pick up and I continue talking to the media people and, hey, pick your number and do all the stuff. And I'm, okay, great. You know, this is this is fun. I'm ready to get off the phone and just enjoy it at that point with my parents. And um, they go, okay, well, we're going to send you a plane ticket. You're going to fly out two days. So now it's really starting to sink in that this is happening. Mm-hmm. So um, at that point, it was just, uh, it was a matter of, now recalibrating to I'm a professional athlete. I have to figure out my life now, which is different for me because, you know, everything's structured through college. Go to the weight room, go to training table, mm-hmm. go to the dining hall, show up for weightlifting, do this and do that. Now it's all on me to live my life and do what I think is necessary as an adult. Wow, what a story. It's unreal. The battery out of the phone definitely gave me a scare. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like on like literally the probably one of the most important calls of your life, huh? Yeah, it, it was, I freaked out. My dad gave the other phone, the razor to my dad. So he could try to like pin the battery back on and turn it back on for me. But I was literally sitting there hitting the phone, like trying to get it back on so I can get it back on the phone. And he was like, Hey, give it to me. I'll take care of it. So lucky that other phone was charged up and sitting on my hip. Right. Okay. Another, before I get into your time at, Carolina, I tell people I 
the best word is to say I'm clairvoyant. So sometimes when I talk to people, I'll get images and sometimes they check out and sometimes people look at me literally like Please I'm crazy. Please tell me there's money in my image. <laughs> well, I last 10 minutes I've been talking to you, I see Roberto Clemente. So like, did you love him? Is that your favorite baseball player? Do you have a, his baseball card? So, is there some kind of story to that? I think I did have one of his cards when I was a kid, but I don't, I don't, um, he wasn't one of my favorites. I was a Dodger okay. fan, Dodger fan growing up. So like the guys that ring out are um most of their pitchers of like any of their pitchers, Mike Piazza, catcher, even like more recently, I'm upset with how they're handling their offseason acquisitions. Is mm -hmm. uh, but no, but I'm no, definitely go ahead. I'm sorry. No, sorry, but just basically no kind of like connection or did you have a family member that was obsessed with him or no um i not that i know of okay. um my dad's my dad's huge into um older players so i i'm gonna ask him later i'm gonna yeah. talk to my dad are you are you were you huge into roberto clemente or no? <laughs> you'll be like what You're like what are you talking about <laughs> why are you asking me about roberto clemente i hadn't talked to you in three days see if that checks out okay but so getting into carolina what was what was coming into the NFL like on top of what do you think of Carolina? Any, anything you want to share? Well, I love the people here. I think I, we opened up with that. Like the people are great. Um, I've made real long lasting lifetime friendships with people who were friends of friends or friends of fans. Oh, I've had uh, the same group of golf buddies for the last 15 years. We take a trip every single year. Um, I actually met them through Moose and Muhammad and um, we go to we go to this golf resort every year and we play for three or four days and come back home. We see each other almost on a weekly basis to play golf. And um, some of the most lasting, just genuine people you'll ever meet that literally check on each other day in and day out, send memes, send jokes. Um, I never thought that I'd be like part of a friend group of mostly 45 plus year old men mm -hmm. that I've seen, I've watched their kids grow up. Now I met their kids at 12 and they're married with like about to have children now. So it's kind of, it's kind of come full circle and my time, you know, growing up into my role as an NFL player, personally, I feel it was abruptly, you know, put to a halt, um, between injury, between, um, you know, I'm not speaking ill of the Panthers, but the mishandling of how my injury was handled, my specific situation, and they made it right in the end. But ultimately, I feel deep, deep down that if I was put in the right position, I could have still, well, I would have probably just retired last year or the year before. So um, that's just my feeling on it. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent healthy anymore. So it's like, you know, knee injuries and hamstrings and all the stuff that deteriorates with time. I get that part. Um, I do feel like I was forced to grow up quick. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you send a check to someone's house for almost half a million dollars and tell them, figure it out. You're an NFL player. Now you got to kind of grow up quick. So it being in, being in a new city, 
I don't I don't want to say that if my family was surrounding me that things would have shaken out different because they were so very supportive. They traveled everywhere to see me and all that stuff. But knowing that um, I was put in a position to succeed financially, that if I would have had a little more guidance, whether it be from the NFL or other people, because mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't want to say like I didn't come from a family of means. I didn't come from from a wealthy family. I went to private school my entire life, but it was because my parents worked really, really hard for that. I feel like if I was educated more in the world of finance and how to handle, you know, the money that was given to me at the time, I'd be in a different position than I am right now. Am I struggling? No, but I'm talking about being able to go to work two days a week, own a business, you know, I work from home currently. It's it's there's a whole lot of what ifs behind it. But as far as my my football experience, it was great until it wasn't. So mm-hmm. I have no complaints in that in that area. I got to play with some of the m- most remarkable and NFL greats to ever do it. Playing and learning from a Steve Smith and a Moose and Muhammad, getting a chance to, you know, pre-draft workout with a Greg Olson and Marshawn Lynch and, you know, some of the greatest TV personalities you see right now traveling all over the country. You know, I have teammates, Ben Roethlisberger from college that, you know, was in the NFL, Sean McVay, who's currently coaching with the Rams. All of these people are in my circle. These are people that I know and I love that, you know, are doing great things that I can't complain about my experience. I can only look in hindsight and see how I could have made that situation better and have some, you know, actionable evolution is the word I like to use is to, to pass along to my kid. No, I get that. I get that. Well, you know, like I said, thank you again for, for sharing. And I guess just like reading between the lines, is it just one of those scenarios? And I totally understand the finance because that's, you know, well, I guess just my belief of what I've studied and who I've spoken with, it's just almost like I don't know why the NFL doesn't have like financial advisors just like any other. I mean, they they do. Um, The truth of the matter is, depending on who you are, you don't trust it. You don't trust anyone. That's fair. You hear about you hear about horror stories of people who trust their family members and they give their family members the money to handle and then the money's gone. Mm -hmm. Or you, you want us to trust a financial advisor that we don't know from. I get that. I get it. So, you know, giving financial literacy lessons, I don't, I think they did a okay job. Um, I think that it could have gone a few steps further in helping guys set up retirement or set up, right? you know, things that are going to help their money grow versus just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk to the, and I'm huge on podcasts, but guys that are wealthy, not just like, oh, you got a little bit of money, but guys that know what they're doing with their money. They know about tax shelters. They know about tax breaks. They know about, and I'm not just talking from a stance of tax evasion, but I mean, like, learning the ins and outs of how our financial system system works so that you can make educated decisions. I didn't become financially literate, I would call it, until I was probably 32 or 33. And so we're talking 11 years of buying houses, cars, jewelry, golf clubs, 
um, computers, things I don't really, you know, 100% need all the time. But we're talking 11 years of buying things that are depreciating in value rather than figuring out a way to grow and put a stamp on my my financial wellness. So um, I do think it's it's something that could be used, you know, going forward. Like, hey, you guys need to do a better job. Do you wonder why? I think it was the number was 70 to 80% of former players are struggling right now. It's because not only do you give 22-year-olds lump sums of money, but you give them lump sums of money without any financial literacy whatsoever. So what do you think they're going to do? If they came from places they were impoverished or, or having a rough time with their family, they're going to, one, take care of their family. Then they're going to spend the rest on whatever they see fit, mm-hmm. whether it's food, jewelry, houses, cars, things that they were never able to even think of having without two thoughts into it. Then I tell my kid, hey, I asked him one day, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said he wants to be um, a YouTuber. I said, great. What do you want to YouTube in? Well, I want to YouTube video games. I want to be I want to be a video gamer. Okay, great. Which game? He keeps on down this path and he names a couple games. I said, okay, great. That's this year. What's the next game coming out? Because he's not forward thinking. He was thinking about what he saw. Mm -hmm. Oh, such and such made $300,000 in a month. Okay, great. That's that person. You have to beat out millions of other people that are doing the same thing to monetize what you're able to monetize through this, this platform. Well, what do you, he goes, I want to be able to own a Tesla. Okay, great. What happens when that Tesla breaks? Are you financially stable enough to pay for that Tesla? No, they don't require gas, but they require you to have a hub put at your house. Not only that, but is that the best car for you? Are you going to drive a lot or not? If you're going to drive more than 300 miles at a time, you can't have a Tesla. You have to have something else too. It's it's about the life lessons for me and in full circle if you know, financial literacy is something that um, these players are lacking because I know I did at that age. After taxes and all that stuff, that half a million dollars turned quickly into $283,000. No, I totally, I, I understand. And I also too um, have talked to a couple guys that like on top of all of that, which you just named, um, then all of a sudden you have you know, family members or friends just coming out of the woodwork. Yep. Asking for shit. Friends, family, cousins, people that I've never met before in my life or hadn't seen in 20 some years, never went to a game, never offered to throw me a pass or catch a pass or run Mm -hmm. routes with me or pretend to be the defensive back when I'm running off the line. None of those people were around during the time where I was really working at it. So when, you know, I was more than willing to help out my family. Mom and dad had a problem at the house. No problem. I got you, mom and dad. Uncle, my dad's brother. No problem. I got you. My brother, my sister. No problem. I got you. My kids, more than taken care of. All the rest of the people that were just there for a handout. Listen, if you didn't have a business plan you were bringing my way with a concrete set of steps and the fight like part of your financial backing as well, I'm not giving you anything. But it's a it's a learned behavior of how to say no to people. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I mean, that goes 
believe me, no one's asking me for money, but like that goes beyond like, yeah, it is it for some reason, for some of us, it is hard. It is an art to like learn how to say like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Or, like, well, even if it's it like, I don't want to go, like, I don't want to go to dinner with you or whatever. You know what I mean? Could be something it simple as that. It takes a lot of growth and a lot of learning from quite honestly, terrible experiences mm-hmm. to say, I don't feel comfortable with this situation. How about you let me think about it and I'll give you a yes or no in a couple of days. Same Marina, but different topic as far as like your injuries. Do you just feel like, you know, and again, this is not to say that this was your scenario, but another thing that I've said did or talked with guys about is that maybe the injury is misdiagnosed. And so it's never dealt with properly because there's a misdiagnosis or is that a connection well, to you or? There, there definitely is some of that. Um, Without, I'm not gonna drag anybody under the. Oh, under the totally. Mud. Yeah, yeah. Throw names in the mud. But the doctor that I dealt with first misdiagnosed my injury. And I know for a fact his job was to get me back on the field. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, the NFL is a business. And I know that. Like, I'm, I'm not discounting that whatsoever. And it was my responsibility. So I'm always wanting to point the thumb at myself versus the finger at someone else my responsibility to make sure I'm okay. If I would have treated my body as a business versus, um, oh, I want to play, I want to play, I want to play. My opportunity to play would have come eventually, but treating my body as my business would have benefited me a whole lot more than jumping back on the field just because I wanted to play right away. I played all 17 games, 20 games of my rookie season. and training camp comes in my second year and I get hurt. I think like knowing what I know now, I probably would have insisted on the surgery, even though I had the second opinion, I really didn't need a third or fourth. I knew what I needed to do, Mm -hmm. but I had all these people in my ear. Oh, you should play. You should practice. You should just get it taped up. You'll be fine. Oh, go in the, go on the back and get one of those tortoil shots. That'd be great. And you'll be fine. As a almost 30, well, 38 year old, I had to think about that for a second. 38 years old, thinking back to 15, 16 years ago when this was happening. Yeah, I probably should have just said, no, no, I'm going to sit this one out or call my agent, put me on IR, whatever you got to do, but I need to have this surgery right now. I had the first surgery, not so much went great. Well, it went okay. I was, I walked out of the hospital. Problem was it wasn't fixed. It was just there was essentially a band-aid over something that really needed to be Worked the on. structure. The structure of it needed to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So um guys like Sean Merriman, um Nate Sally, um trying to think of guys that are local to the to the area. More recently, Lamar Jackson. Perfect. Torn PCLs. It doesn't allow your knee to stabilize going backwards. So hyperextension is the real problem. You can't really start or stop. It's basically like an ACL injury, but it's the ligament that crosses with the ACL. So stability was a problem. Starting stopping was a problem. And it's also the reason why I would imagine the reason why Sean Merriman wasn't as effective after he had his. He retired shortly after Nate Sally's retired. He has been for um, just as long as I have. 
Lamar Jackson. I pray for him. I hope that he's okay. And I don't want to throw any speculation into it, but there's a good possibility he's not going to be the same when he comes back unless they fix it right now. Mm-hmm. And even then expect that he's not going to be a hundred percent. So it's it's a tough, a tough thing to navigate, especially when you're eager and you want to make a name for yourself. And this is something that I spent 20 years working for for someone to say, hey, you should probably sit down and uh not play until you're a hundred percent. Mm-hmm. I understand. Um well, going, is it correct? Do I have it correct that um, once the chapter in Carolina ended, you played for a Florida team? I did. Um, I was with the Florida Tuskers for four days, a whopping, a whopping four days. Yes. Um, I tried out for the Patriots. So it was right in the same window as when Wes Welker got hurt. Okay. Um, he was almost recovered 100%. And I tried out for the Patriots. They, Loved my speed. They loved my route running. They loved my skills. However, they wanted to wait for Wes. So they say, hey, you know, go on home. We'll call you in a couple of weeks once we figure out what we're going to do with Wes. And I say, okay, great. <clears throat> that couple of weeks was at the end of most teams training camps. So when I went to the Florida Tuskers, and this is in the UFL, um, I went on the pretense that I could play that season and then get picked up in free agency in the NFL before the season was done. So I get another accredited season and then be able to be a free agent again at the end of the season. So there was a plan behind it. Um, However, three, four days with the Tuskers, which day one was mostly a battery of tests, knees, um, x-rays, MRIs, whatever, like, CAT scans, all the stuff that they normally do when they have you on board for a team, Um, met with the team's physicians and checked in with the coaching staff, picked up a playbook. Three days after that, they made their final cuts for their team. And then they were going to get on a a plane or bus to go somewhere and play. They had already had a group of wide receivers that they had been looking at for the last three or four weeks that already knew the offense that, you know, they felt comfortable with their current staff versus bringing someone in brand new a couple days in and cutting someone that they've been looking at for three weeks. So um, I understand where their position was, but it was, uh, it was short lived for me. I was only there for a few days. You know, I mean, I know this might be like an eye roller of a statement, but that is that like, do you look at that as a blessing in disguise or is it still kind of like a bitter note to have your career in like that or? I think it's it's not I don't I don't consider it an eye roll question. I think, you know, the options were UFL, Canada or Arena. I think UFL was the best option out of those if I was going to get back into the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um again, I think I would have handled my situation differently had the injury not taken so much time. So we're talking of course of about two and a half years of rehab mm-hmm. and surgeries and I'm considered an injury liability at that point. So Bigger teams, NFL teams aren't going to take a chance unless I just show up to an open workout and wow them, uh, i.e. Wesley Snipes in uh, Major League when he's, he jumps out of bed late and takes off running down the baseline. Like That's the type of situation that would have had to happen for me to just jump back on any team. Or the situation would have had to be been right. Someone else got hurt. Um, I had a familiarity with an offense or a coach that I, you know, that my agent knew went to a certain team. 
that they knew liked me and he could have gotten me on that team. So um, there's a whole lot of, you know, if then statements and who, you know, in the, in the league at that time that, that could have put me back on the map, but, you know, all in all is a positive experience. I got to be where less than 1% of the population ever goes. Um, So I consider it a blessing. Cool. Very cool. Before we get into, um, you know, retirement life, even though that's, I don't even like to really use that term anymore, just post, post football, post your, your sports life. What is it like to be, sounds like obviously your whole life into that point, be in this like, you know, vibe arena, no pun intended, where like everyone is looking at you. Is that? It was, it was frustrating to say the least. And I think the way I explain it best to my friends who ask me this question is, how would you like to be under constant scrutiny? Um, people being in your business, in your life, no curtains, no shield for four or five years. That goes to say your boyfriend or girlfriend is part of this visibility. Your children are part of this visibility. Anything you do gets magnified. That's the frustrating part. Because you can't just be, oh, I'm Ryan, the dad, the husband, the, you know, the drummer, piano player, whatever. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't be that person. I had to constantly be on. So if I'm out in public, people ask for autographs. People ask me for, hey, let me see that. Can I have your hat? Public <laughs> appearance. Public appearance is everything. Just... No, no, no. It's, I mean, but those are things that happen. That's so odd. Yeah. Let me have your hat. Let me have your gloves. Let me, can you autograph this thing for me? Okay, great. I don't mind giving an autograph. But imagine it flipped the other way. If you were me and I was you and I said, you know, you don't know me personally. And you walked up and said, hey, I know you're enjoying your dinner, but can you sign this for me? Well, is it the check? No, it's just a piece of paper that I want to keep. It it's a it's a whole different lifestyle. Well, I guess it's inv- you know again it's invasive. Yeah, highly highly invasive and um, presumptuous, and there's some other names I would put on it. But you know, I've been I've been in positions where people have yelled at us. We were out to dinner or out to dinner as a receiving corps one year, and a lady interrupted our dinner to ask for an autograph. Like we're all conversating, we're laughing, we're having a good time. It's just us and our group. And a lady walks up and she's like, I don't know which one of you is which, but let me have an autograph. And then she starts shouting about how they pay our salaries and all this other stuff. And I'm like, no, our, our owner pays our salaries through TV contracts. The tax dollars pay for the stadium. That has nothing to do with, you know, what, what we have going on. So there's a lot of just misinformation unless you're green bay or um i don't know what other team does this but a publicly owned team the people that are shouting about them paying our salaries you know some of it's accurate some of it's inaccurate just i don't know i guess um i don't know yeah people are weird because i guess my thing is like would you go up and ask like a bunch of bankers like yell at them and ask what they make i don't know i just feel like the whole you know Obviously, I don't know. I just I'm I get uncomfortable when people talk about money. So I just can't imagine someone just demanding that to strangers. It's, it's but. funny you say that because you could probably go on and Google right now and say, what was Ryan Robinson's first contract worth? And I can tell you the computer will go beep, boop, bop, boop, beep yeah. and say 
$2.1 million. Did I receive all of that 2.1? Nope. Mm -hmm. But that's automatically what people think of us. They see dollar signs. Oh, this contract for Russell Wilson was $172 million. Mm -hmm. He might get half of that. He might get whatever, whatever they promised him was guaranteed. That's what he's going to get. All the other stuff. No, ma'am. Right. So, yeah. Well, post, you know, that chapter ending, what has that, what has that been like for you? You know, I understand that no one really can compare, you know, I mean, prepare an individual for that. Do you find that to be true? Well, I would agree with you a hundred percent. I think, um, without getting into too many details, depression, mm-hmm. um, you know, my family went through a rough period where I wasn't, I wasn't always present, like mentally, like I would check out and just, you know, watch cartoons, play video games for hours and hours and hours. Um, or I'd leave and go and play golf for days on end and then come back and I'd be grouchy and they'd be like, well, what's wrong with you? And the short answer was my career was taken from me before I was ready to let it go. So the truth of it is, is I spent three years trying to figure out my life and figure out my identity as just a regular person. Um, you know, depression set in and, you know, all the things that come with that, not like not being able to do anything else except for think about it and be pouty about it and not really understand why I was put in that position. But um, I'd done a ton of things. I've delivered furniture. I've managed, you know, trash crews. I've uh, worked for an engineering firm for three years. I also was a personal trainer for seven of those years for a company. I was still training right now, obviously, but I worked with a company called Burn Bootcamp for seven years. And it was some of the most joyful, rewarding moments of my life. Um, Then I had to figure out different career transitions. So I think you know, no one can prepare you for that. And as much as it's not the army or the military, I think the next closest thing to losing your career after 20 some years of being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it is being in the military Mm -hmm. next to football, baseball, basketball, whatever, whatever you want to say it is. Do they get paid as much as we do? No, absolutely not. Because we are an entertainment realm, but I do believe, you know, people preparing for their next phase right at the beginning of the phase you're currently in is key. It's paramount to you being able to be successful in that next transition. Um, well, again, thank you for sharing. Um, and I know obviously it sounds like you help out behind the scenes with youths and parents and stuff like that, but like, is there any kind of like outstanding like advice for like upcoming athletes of, yeah, I mean, anything you want to share that like, you feel like that's, that's good for them to know or I think it's it's what I opened up with it's have a plan work the plan and plan for the unexpected my uh late coach Terry Hepner who was at Miami of Ohio recruited me there um and then he went to he went to Indiana University uh University of Indiana before he passed away of brain cancer always used to say that to us he would say have a plan work the plan plan for the unexpected because if you take it into the three phases that I've dealt with, I had a plan in the beginning. My plan changed. So um, I worked my plan, you know, and then 
the unexpected part I wasn't prepared for. Mm-hmm. So as much as I tried to live by all three, the first two were fine. The first two were great. The third one, the unexpected part, that day in practice when I went and caught a seam route and someone dove at my knee and hyperextended it. Okay. Worst case scenario, what does that look like for me? Have I saved enough? Have I put myself in a position that I can successfully transition to the next phase of my life with a business or using my my degree? Or do I plan on going back to school to continue my education? Have I surrounded myself with people that are going to help facilitate um, this transition? Those are the types of things that I would tell, you know, kids coming up now. Don't pull all your eggs in one basket. It's great to have a dream, but understanding the numbers that there's 120 D1 schools. Uh Out of those D1 schools, you have roughly 100 players per team. So we're at what? Uh, Is that 12,000 players? I think. I'm I'm horrible at math, by the way. (laughs) I mean, that sounds about right. 120. How many zeros is that? I think it's, I I believe it's about 12,000 players, right? 12,000 players, only half of those players actually play. Right. So we're down to 6,000 players each. This is per year. You take out of that 6,000, each team only gets seven or seven draft picks and the rest are free agent pickups. So we're talking, we're talking about 260 kids, maybe out of 12,000 across the country that get to play professional football. So I think having having another another plan, not specializing too early. So maybe you have another sport. If you love sports that much, go into sports marketing, go into being an agent, go into something that you really are passionate about. I think passion is the one thing that's lost on people. They're so ready to give up on their dreams. They're not really passionate about it. They just they fall in love with the results and not the actual process of it. So for all of you that are watching this that may or may not see this. The process includes the work behind the scenes. What are you doing when no one's watching you? Are you, you know, getting into trouble? Are you going above and beyond to do the extra hundred push-ups per day so that you're strong enough to handle the, the workload that's given to you? Are you, you know, willing to eat right? Are you willing to, you know, take instruction from your coaches? Those are all things that are super important to this process. And if you can't fall in love with that, you might as well say goodbye to your dream. Mm-hmm. When even just whatever you want in life, you know, under the career umbrella, it's like, yeah, it is. It's a process. It's a journey. You know, nothing's going to happen overnight. So I get that. Exactly. Now, you know, being that I'm 38, I just transitioned into a career in software sales, still training and all that. But um, I'm still working on the next phase of my life. Right. I knew I wasn't going to be a personal trainer forever. It's it's time to move on to something else. I prepared myself for it. And now, you know, being successful as a sales representative is is my goal. That's what's up. That's what's up. Well, the last um, note that I like to end on is out of this box because I love the unexplained, what have you. So I always ask my guests if they've ever seen a ghost or like a supernatural thing that you can share. I can't honestly say that I have. That's okay. I feel like I feel like there are things that are meant to be unexplained from time to time, like getting into, you know, trying to understand 
you know, the metaphysical and the paranormal and all that other stuff is great for people that are into it. But I really, I do believe that there are just things we don't understand and we'll never understand. So, you know, I think we just we're cautious and and respectful of all of the things in this universe, in this world, and and you know, live together in harmony. That's awesome. That's a good note to end on. Do you and again, I just heard do you like experience deja vu or I do from time to time and I, I kinda like look around and I'm like, oh I think I've been here before. I think I know what's gonna happen next and then the next thing happens. So I oh, don't know oh. if that's related to um to parallel universes or wormholes or any of the, the physical stuff that or the, the physics of it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's pretty strange feeling when it does happen, but you know, I kind of roll with the punches. If I know what the next sentence out of the person I was talking to um, is going to be, then it kind of helps me set up and prepare to at least make the situation better than what I dreamt it to be the time before. Oh, that's awesome sauce. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, Ryan, and like I said, no pressure, but do you want to give a shout out to your social media? Would you just prefer not to or um, or your you website or anything? Me, yeah, you can find me on uh, on Facebook or Instagram as Ryan underscore Robinson Fitness. Um, same goes for uh, my LinkedIn profile. My first name, Ryan Robinson. And uh, got any questions? Shoot me messages. I'm all about helping my people, helping my helping my community and um, helping everybody else grow. That's awesome. Well, Ryan, that's it. Thanks. What do you think? It was good. It was good. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, if you need anything else, feel free to reach out. Thank you so much. Thanks. Got it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.